Hello and welcome to Collision Cast, Fenderbender's official podcast, helping collision shop operators make money, save money, and work smarter. I'm Paul Hodowanek, staff writer for Fenderbender, and today we have a great episode. I hope everyone is enjoying this holiday week. It's ex- it's an exciting time for the Fenderbender team and all of Ten Missions Media in general. One of our sister publications, Adapt Automotive, is hosting its Adapt Automotive Summit between December 5th and 7th in Nashville, Tennessee. And through the past several months, the Adapt team has been previewing the conference through many, many different podcast interviews of experts in the mechanical and collision repair space. Today, we're going to hear one of those interviews. I'll let our digital multimedia editor, Noah Brown, intro everything. But I just wanted to say, if you enjoy this podcast, consider listening to the Adapt podcast, which has tons of these, and also consider attending the Adapt Summit later in December. There is still time to sign up, and it's going to be a great event. I'll let Noah take it away. Hey everyone, and welcome into the Adapt Podcast. I'm digital multimedia editor Noah Brown. The Adapt Summit, a three-day event in Nashville focusing on the most progressive and pressing topics in terms of vehicle design, repair, maintenance, and diagnostics, is quickly approaching. Registration is still available on adaptsummit.com slash registration. In the weeks leading up to the summit, the Adapt Podcast will take some time to talk to several of the keynote speakers and presenters who will be in attendance to break down some of the topics they plan to address. We continue our summit feature series this week with John Swigert, a longtime industry veteran who's been on the forefront of some very interesting technological developments in the industry to talk about some of the biggest trends revolving around customer relations and a lack of networking between the repair space and other third-party automotive groups. It seems like there's kind of this big push, like we need to have all this tech right now, but really it, it's not going to happen instantaneously. How imminent is kind of this technological revolution in the automotive space? Oh, I think it's uh, it's absolutely going to happen and probably sooner rather than later. Um, and probably not for the reason that you just cited, although sure, why not? Um, but primarily because it's just... Um, you know, EVs are just a better idea. So, and for many different reasons, um, you can, you know, why, why are EVs better? Um, there's about 10% of the moving parts in an EV versus an, uh, an internal combustion engine or ICE vehicle. Um, so they're simpler um, with the lack of those moving parts, especially internal combustion engine components. Um, they last longer. Uh, things just kind of, there's, if you think about electric motors and what touches what, really not a lot there. So uh, friction, sort of the big enemy in, in an engine, and um, there's not a lot generated. So um, they're very simple, which means um, they're very simple to build. Um, you know, if, if, you know, for example, um, we built uh, the Model 3 we in a tent in the parking lot um, at Fremont. Uh, and you might have seen stories where, you know, Elon said we're going to double capacity and and literally erected a tent in the parking lot and built the car out there um, because uh, it's not that hard. Um, you know, building a body in white is as complex as it's ever been, but but assembling that vehicle, there's just not that much to assemble. So I think, um, yeah, uh, we'll see um, EVs more and more. Um, 
you know, for for uh, for that reason primarily because it's a simpler idea. They're simpler to build. They're actually simpler to to work on. Add on to that um, other benefits like they're incredibly fast and fun to drive. Um, so if you've ever, uh, you know, put a a Model S uh, in ludicrous mode and and hit the accelerator, it's just a mind blowing experience. Or Model Three performance, just mind blowing. Um, so they're super fun. Um, uh, if you're concerned about safety, um, they're super safe. Why why are they so much safer? You know, if you look at five star crash rating with Tesla. Why are they so safe? Um, because in an internal combustion engine vehicle, the design of the structure, the frame rails, is compromised by the engine. Uh, so they, you know, the frame rails have to move up and around and back down and through to sort of put that big motor in the front. If you take the front end apart on, a, on an electric vehicle, you'll see two straight frame rails. So no crazy angles to move around. You can build a very strong box or triangle. Um, and um, uh, so structurally, they're, uh, they're a lot more sound. Uh, so they're safer. Um, and then if you look at, you know, if, if it's emissions or carbon emissions that are your concern, um, there's all those reasons. Uh, so yeah, I think there's, there's like, there's no going back, just drive one. And you know, for me, that was the experience. The first time I got in one, I said, "Oh, it's game over." And I'm a car guy; like, I love cars my whole life, love everything about them, and drive that thing and go, "Oh, game over." Yeah, this is just this is a, you know a, a several orders of magnitude better. Yeah, I remember reading somewhere uh, uh, Dodge CEO Tim Kaniskas said, "We're not building EVs because the government is forcing us to, or because of any sort of." environmental reasons, although those are big pluses, but it is because EVs just provide a better product, as you are mentioning right there. At the end of the day, you can get much more out of an EV than you ever could out of an ICE. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ICE is probably, uh, you know, less than 20% efficient. You know, when you look at all, you know, the energy used to move that vehicle forward and an electric vehicle is about 90% efficient. So, the whole idea of an internal combustion engine vehicle is just filled with waste, just mountains of waste. And so for our audience here, uh, a lot of people in the uh, aftermarket repair sector, um, we have three publications. There's uh, Nolan, Fender Bender, and Ratchet and & Wrench. And I, I feel like Ratchet and & Wrench and Fender Bender, kind of our, our general repair and collision repair sector, feels like they have a, a more clear idea of what this technological revolution may be, but for um, the quick oil and quick lube shop owners uh, who primarily uh, read Nolan, um, it's not as clear cut where the where they fit in with this EV revolution. So for them specifically, but I guess just for aftermarket repairs in general, yeah. what do they need to do to adapt to kind of make themselves ready for this EV, AV, ADOS yeah, technology-heavy future. Yeah. Um, you know, the truth is an electric vehicle um, requires very little maintenance. Um, uh, there are maintenance schedules, but, um, and I can, I can say in, in Tesla, there were maintenance schedules for those vehicles. But the truth is that the big push was to eliminate those because they just, uh, you know, they built a maintenance schedule because that's the sort of traditional model and people wanted to understand, you know, what is it? 
what does it require to do the maintenance on these vehicles? But um, there's not a lot of maintenance. What wears out uh, tires? I think that, you know, from a maintenance perspective, tires. Uh, are there fluids? Yeah, there's some fluids in the vehicle, but uh, they really don't, you don't need to change them that much. There's coolant to cool the batteries and there's some, uh, there's some uh, fluids in uh, um, transaxles where they're used. Uh, but that's about it. You look at brakes. Um, uh, because of regen in electric vehicles, you don't, it's a sort of a single pedal vehicle. If you've ever driven one, you really don't put your foot on the brake. You just remove your foot from the accelerator slowly and the vehicle slows. So, you know, you can expect um, to, for brakes to uh, go a long, long way, you know, maybe 100,000 miles, maybe, who knows. But um, uh, so, there's not a lot of maintenance to do um, on an electric vehicle. And so if your business is uh, traditional vehicle maintenance, um, I mean, the truth of it is, uh, there's not gonna be a lot of that available to you in the future. Does that mean you should think about other things? Well, maybe, um, but one thing that you should think about for sure is if the, if the truth is that they require less maintenance, then you should be thinking about how do I reduce my costs? So the, the cost structure of my business today in order to provide traditional maintenance won't survive a future um, where there's you know 10% of the volume of, of maintenance work that maybe that potentially you had. Um, beyond that, you could say um, that for the maintenance industry, uh, the, the opportunity probably lies um, in commercial vehicles where more and more, you know, look at the number of um, EVs on order from Amazon, you know, through Rivian. And uh, I think 100,000, they've ordered 100,000 vehicles and there's uh, a rival of other companies you know, with, I think, a big UPS contract. So um, uh, those will probably burn tires a lot faster and they'll, all, they'll be on the road a lot. Um, so you probably should think about that. Um, you know, one of the, one of the maintenance items years ago we discussed that probably would uh, there would be demand for in the future was um, replacing the interior, uh, which is crazy to think <laughs> that hey that you know the car can go a million miles, um, the, you know the motor can go a million miles. You're going to wear out some tires and brakes and maybe a, some suspension components, but um, an aluminum vehicle with an electric motor, a million miles is absolutely uh, reasonable, you may have to replace the battery pack, but you'll probably wear the interior out uh, before you wear anything else out. So, you know, can you can you have interior swap outs and the kidding interiors to be able to pull in and switch an interior out and go again? So, yeah, um, so there's a, that's a, it's a great question, um, what, what happens to that industry? But uh, certainly uh, reducing your cost is uh, gonna, be, gonna be critical there. And it seems like in addition to reducing your cost, kind of removing the specialization of uh, of your shop. So instead of just being a quick lube or a quick oil shop or just a collision shop, being able to handle uh, multiple types of service and really becoming kind of a one-stop shop for your customers. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, I think that is the future. Uh, that's the future I'm planning for, frankly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that is the future. And uh, uh, and why not? You know, uh, it's. Uh, I think you look at the. You can look at home construction and home maintenance. Say the same thing. It's like this is kind of nuts. Why do you? 
You got a lawn guy and a roof guy and a gutter guy, a windows guy, electrician, a plumber. What's that all about? You know, uh, uh, so I, I think um, everybody needs to pay attention to that. Uh, that you know, what what is it that you really do? And that this idea of being able to peel things off and specialize is probably um, not a great idea. From the team that brings you Fender Bender, Modern Tire Dealer, Nolan, and Ratchet and Wrench comes the ADAPT Automotive Technology Summit, a unique opportunity to learn directly from automakers and industry leaders on the shifting landscape of automotive technology. Held December 5th through 7th in Nashville, Tennessee, ADAPT will feature leading voices like Mike Anderson, Chris Chesney, Nissan, and GM discussing how shop owners like you can be prepared to handle the most progressive technology trends disrupting the industry. Register for ADAPT today. Use code podcast at adaptsummit.com for $400 off. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. If you are, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to the ADAPT podcast and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and check out the latest news on emerging trends and technologies on adaptautomotive.com. Now, back to the interview. Kind of switching gears here, moving from kind of the technological advancements of the industry to the technological advancements of the consumer. A, a lot of people, particularly the younger generation these days, uh, are showing less and less interest in purchasing and owning a car. There's a lot of interest in, in ride sharing and um, just kind of moving away from the the standard way of doing things that have kind of been the industry standards for the last 50 or 60 years. How do emerging consumer trends where, you know, not owning a car, ride sharing, how does that affect independent repairs? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, you know, start with ride share. Um, clearly for urban markets, um, I think, why would you bother to own a car when ride share is so accessible? Uh, ride share is getting more expensive, like, you know, uh, the rideshare companies need to get it together, and and I think today uh, there's some stats out there that say ride the cost of rideshare is probably more than a cab, uh, so um, they need to get that under control and look at their own costs. Um, but if they can do that, then there's really there's absolutely no need to own insure a vehicle if you live in an urban market. You know, uh, you got to pay for parking and all that. So yeah, I, I, I think the question there is. Um, uh, do people continue to leave like these days? A lot of people are leaving those markets. Does it turn around and do people start to go back to those markets? Is there going to be a, the suburban uh, spread? Um, and so I think if if you understand that, you can probably you know predict or at least plan for what may happen there. So um, that's a big that that's a big concern. And um, if people are moving into cities, then yeah, there's not going to be a lot of vehicles. You know, there'll be a lot of uh, rideshare uh, that needs uh, maintenance and service, but Lyft already uh, owns their own um, service maintenance and collision repair uh, facilities around the country. So, and they're providing those services at a discount uh, for their drivers, and it works really well. Um, so, yeah, that's a concern. I think um, I think the other concern is uh, around the subscription model, uh, which there's been lots of talk around for years, but it's not really taken off uh, yet. But I think there's more players getting into that uh, game. And um, and I mean, it makes sense for the subscription model to say, I, I pay one fee for you know gold platinum level or something. I can swap out brand new cars every six months for 
you know, a thousand dollars a month or something like that. And uh, so that uh, that's a huge game changer, except for those organizations that um, are going to do that will need repairs and maintenance on those vehicles. So uh, if they decide to do it themselves, um, which they may, then all that business is gone. If um, if you can give them a reason not to, if you can provide those services as those uh, organizations emerge, then um, they probably won't get into it. But uh, you know, you you need to change your mindset. It's you know, this this industry is uh, the mindset isn't to uh, typically isn't to cost less. <laughs> it's to charge more. Yeah. How do we how do we charge as much as we can? So if you're going into it with you know that mentality. Um, yeah, they'll just open it, open up their own service organizations and uh, um, and it'll just be a cost of doing business and don't need to make a profit just, just as long as they can do it at cost they'll do it cheaper than you. So yeah, um, so that's a concern. So subscription model um, ride share, uh, probably the two biggest concerns uh, around that. Otherwise, um, uh, to your point, um, it's kind of how they use service. Uh, and you know, if you look at um, how they shop and buy uh, today, nobody wants to go sit in your dirty waiting room with one-year-old magazines and a, you know, and some guy hacking up a lung in the corner or something. What you know, nobody's nobody wants to go do that. Um, and uh, it's gonna someone will fix that problem, and uh, all of this stuff will be just a touch of a button, and it's done. Um, but yeah, that idea uh, um, will go away quickly. Uh, uh, having to shop around and, to your point, uh, keep multiple vendors uh, on board to manage your vehicle and multiple relationships. And, and now I think all that, all that probably goes away. So yeah, it's a huge concern. What does, uh, how do people own cars in the future, and and how do they use service in the future? And I think it's pretty clear. And so it, it seems like a lot of uh, repairers in the industry have been kind of hesitant to adopt some of this new technology just because they've been able to put it off. Uh, you know, the, the adoption of EV and AVs really hasn't gained momentum until the last couple of years. And even then, I think it's what, only three or 4% of total new car sales are some form of EV. So ICEs still kind of dominate the market. Um, at what point will it become impossible for repairs to ignore the emerging technology? And is it important for them to get on board before that point? Hmm. At what point can you, uh, it's impossible to ignore. Um, you know, I, I think this, yeah, it's a good one right now, this mandate that, <laughs> Half of the vehicles will be electric. Uh, what was it? 2030? Is that 2030. Yeah. 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 So what is not that long? Um, uh, yeah. And there's other countries. I think Sweden and Norway and uh, have you know adopted policies like that as well. So um, yeah. Uh, at what point can you no longer ignore it? Um, yeah. I mean that's a pretty good sign. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good sign. Well, I guess if fifty percent of the new vehicles uh, have to be, you know, either uh, full electric or electric hybrid in the next what, nine years or eight and a half years, whatever, 
Um, you know, I think the average age of a vehicle on the road now is maybe between 11 and 13 years old or something like that. I think uh, it's right around 12.2 years or something like that. Okay. So um, you got those vehicles for a while, you know, uh, you can continue and continue to drive those uh, and fix those vehicles. So, yeah, I mean, what do you got? If, if half the vehicles in eight years or eight and a half years have to be EVs, then, um, you know, you can say 15 years later, uh, there's not many uh, internal combustion engine vehicles on the road to do the work too. So you probably should, you probably should get going now. Yeah. Or have some sort of exit strategy quickly rent that property. So I guess uh, moving forward for all of these independent repairs, um, I, I guess just kind of wrap it up here. I mean, what can they do? How how can they prepare for this already? Like we talk about EVs and AVs as if they are coming, no, but in a lot of ways they're here. It maybe not as as prevalent or as widespread as some people would like to see, but they are here and they're only going to become more prevalent as the years go on. What what can shops do to prepare for this technological revolution? Yeah. Um my thoughts are uh, two things. One is start learning how to identify and remove waste. Um, two, uh, and start learning how to teach your people how to solve problems. And so why is that critical? Um, you're going to have to be better than them. And so I mean cheaper than them. <laughs> and able to deliver a service better than they can. Um, and the good news is, uh, from my experience, largely in uh, uh, the, the wrong people are in charge today in those big organizations. Um, and, you know, service is uh, almost an afterthought. And, and I get it, like, it's taken a mountain of work to get an electric vehicle uh, to, to be mass produced, a mountain of work. So. Servicing them clearly was an afterthought to go, yeah, we better figure that part out too. Um, but they don't have the right people in charge. Um, a lot of these EV, a, uh, AV companies are tech companies and culturally, that's a very different um, industry. Uh, you know, my, here's my experience. Um, you hire smart, capable people, you throw them in a room and you hope good things happen. Um, very, but there's very little direction. There's very little clarity on what the target is or how to get there. So, um, uh, you know, uh, common sense things that we're in our industry, we're clever people. Um, we know how to fix things. We know how to figure out what's wrong with things. Um, that's an advantage that the, that the tech orgs don't have today. There's, and, you know, just to be frank, there's not a lot of common sense in those organizations when it comes to this stuff. So there's an advantage right now because they what what they can do the work. Um, they I'm certain they can't make a profit doing it, but that's okay because you know the dealer network for most of these new guys are gone. So they they can um, they can earn from raw materials all the way to you know uh, uh, returning that car. So um, so there's an opportunity 
there uh, to learn now how to do it better than they can, because it'll be a long time, I think, uh, before they really dig in, put the right people in place and really understand um, the things that, you know, shop owners understand today. So, so for me, that's uh, always been around creating a process centered business. Um, and, you know, you can define that as, uh, you know, that's a business that doesn't have a lot of waste in it. It's, it's learned what waste is. It's learned how to see it. It's learned how to show it to everyone that works there. It's learned how to remove waste. So um, the result of that is that you're just better than them. So you're faster than them. You can do it faster than they can. You can do it cheaper than they can. You can do it better than they can. And by that, I mean, better means whatever the customer wants. Um, so there's the, op there's the opportunity. Um, and that's what people should be thinking about now. Because you look, with anything else, the, the goal is to start first. Um, if you can if you can start first uh, and you're in a mode of continuous improvement, um, then they can never catch you. In fact, the gap between you and them always gets wider. So uh, that's my perspective is the, the only move you can make today is to get really good at what you do for a living. And by that, I mean, eliminate the waste inside the processes that you use today and learn a little bit. There's lots out there. Um, I've been a student of uh, Toyota and the Toyota production system, Toyota business system, which is really founded around the elimination of waste um, and how to do that uh, by engaging your people in that, <laughs> not having managers decide what to do and people who do what they're told. Um, by teaching people, teaching and empowering people how to find and remove waste on their own. Um, that's, that I believe is the key. And that's all we've got for you here today on the Adapt Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Noah Brown, and we'll see you next week.